Jeff's good to be with you again. Yeah, man. <clears throat> so we, um, we continue this morning in our series, Stronger Through the Struggle. And hey, if this is your first Sunday joining us, I know that um, you know, each week it feels like people are hopping on on social media, and we're grateful for that platform. So if you haven't been with us through this series, you can go back on our YouTube channel or on Facebook and watch these live streams, or you can listen to the podcast in our church app. We'd love for you to, to engage and, and to you know, catch up and join us and be where we are in this. But um, over the course of these several weeks, we want to consider the sometimes unpopular idea that struggle has value in our lives, like that it's actually something that can be for our benefit. Uh, and, and we have this tendency to want to avoid struggle at all costs. Like we, we, we want to push through it, get to the other side of it, ignore the fact that we are going through struggle, whatever the case may be. We just, we don't deal well with struggle, but our hope in this series is to come to this place where we realize that there is value in it. That, get, that in the midst of our struggle, God longs to do something in us and God longs to do something uh, through us. In fact, sometimes it, as we look at Scripture, we see that God oftentimes does His greatest work in the life of an individual or in the life of the, of, of the church in the midst of struggle. And, and that, that God brings the greatest fruit forth from uh, struggle. And so that's really what we want to, you know, this is not just a, these several weeks aren't meant to just be a pep talk. Hey, struggle's hard, you know, hang in there. But, but looking at the model that we see in Scripture to say, no, there's something biblical about the fact that God is able to take struggle and use it to produce unbelievable fruit and to transform lives. And that's our hope is that not only would you find that your life is being transformed in this season, but that God is actually working through you. Uh, in this season to transform the lives of others. And I know that it's, an incre- it's incredibly easy for me to say this, right? To say, hey, struggle has value in your life, therefore um, make the most of it. Incredibly easy to say, but very difficult for us to, to actually live out, right? Yeah. When we have a tendency to want to be on the other side of this. I mean, how, how many times have we said, we cannot wait until we can gather together and worship again. We cannot wait until... You can see someone and give them a handshake or a hug rather than say, am, am I standing six you know, far enough away from this person? Like, I know that, that we can't wait to be out in public and be wearing a mask and not be judged for it or be out in public and not be wearing a mask and not be judged for it. Uh, we want to be through this. We want to be on the other side of this. And yet for all of our wishing and hoping and desire to be on the other side, we don't want to miss the way that God is able to leverage this season, this struggle, wherever you might be in struggle, that God is able to leverage that for your good and for his glory. Um, and, and so that's really what we have tried to do um, over these, the, the weeks that we've been in this series and the weeks to come. We, we want to, to, you know, name the struggle. Um, and, and we want to, you know, create a space where there's per- permission to do that, but then also provide some, some hope in the midst of it. So this morning, I want to invite you to consider how struggle affects who you understand yourself to be. How struggle affects who you understand yourself to be. And to find hope in the fact that no matter how difficult the struggle is, God has not forgotten who you are. In fact, in the midst of struggle, God longs to reveal to you where your identity is truly meant to be found. And that is in Him and Him alone. So let's look at Philippians chapter 3 this morning. That'll be our, our prim, primary scripture. We'll read verses uh, 1 through 11, and I'm reading, uh, or 1 through 14, and I'm reading uh, from the NIV. Paul writes these words to the church in Philippi. 
He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is found through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to participate, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. So the thing about struggle as it relates to identity is that struggle has a way of both causing us to question who we are and, ex- and perhaps expose the fact that we have spent a great deal of time and energy building an identity on things that we are not meant to build identity upon. And, and the struggle, the storm in, in which we find ourselves, just like any struggle, has a way of disrupting life disrupting those things that we pursue, disrupting the way that we spend time. In fact, that's been one of the greatest challenges for all of us in the season, this new normal. We are still, in a lot of ways, trying to figure out how to, to navigate. It, it's not just an inconvenience, right? Yeah. I mean, there are things that are inconvenient about it. It's not just an inconvenience. But what we find that is so difficult beneath that is that it's a disruption of, of schedule. More than that, even. It's a disruption of our ability to give our lives to those things that that we have been so used to giving our lives to, those things that we pursue, those things that we chase, those things that whether we realize it or not, we use to define who we are. And and we don't like to be in a place where we're questioning who we are, (laughs) whether internally or or we don't like to be in a place where we, we feel like the people around us are questioning who we are, are, are beginning to question, you know, are, are you really who you said you were? Are, are you really living up to um, the things that you, 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 know, you find are important in your life, right? Our hope in this and the opportunity that we have in this is to see that in this season, God might just be trying to free us from the tyranny of living up to the expectations of others. Mm-hmm the tyranny of living up to the expectations of others or to the expectation of the world around us. You see, we we spend so much time sacrificing who we are meant to be in order to appeal to those around us, in order to appeal to the standards of the world around us. And and half the time, I I think that what's most dangerous about 
you know, this tool of the enemy is that we don't even realize that, that we're doing it. It's so pervasive though, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's all over the place. Everywhere you look, there's someone telling you what to do, who to be, how to act, what to buy. Uh, it, it, it's nonstop. It's relentless. Right. And, and we, we buy it hook, line, and sinker, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even if we recognize that it's happening, we still pursue yeah. those things that the world says <clears throat> that we should pursue. So just a little context here. And one of the things that's, that's happening in this passage Paul has a deep love for the, the people in the church of Philippi. It's clear from this letter. This letter reads a little differently than some of his others. He's not, you know, he's not banging the gavel. He's not standing on the soapbox. He's not pointing the finger. I mean, yes, there's a squabble that he deals with in here, but really this letter is meant to be a letter of encouragement. It's, it's, it's hey, this is who you are. This is who I want you to be. And, and in this, this passage in particular, one of the things that Paul is worried about happening, if it hasn't begun to happen already, it's the same thing that happened to the church in Galatia, is that kind of after Paul has come through and the church is trying to live into their identity and, and, you know, who they are, what does it mean that I belong to Christ? What does it mean that I've been welcomed into the family of God? And considering what that means in everyday life, you have this group of people that come along behind called the Judaizers. And, and essentially, those are faithful Jews who, who, are, who are, see it as their, their role because they are passionate about, you know, being God's people and, and the way of God. They see it as their role to make sure that people are fitting the mold, right? Mm-hmm. So inherently, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing, um, but we'll see the, the, the danger in it and one of the ways that we tend to buy into the same, the same idea. So they're coming in behind and saying, hey, you've said yes to life with Jesus. You've placed your hope in him to rescue your life and free you from sin. That's cute, but there are some things that you need to do in addition to that. There, there are um, some customs and, and some expectations that, that are on you as God's people now. Some certain rules that you have to follow. One of the things in particular is that they say, hey, if you haven't been circumcised as a Gentile, you need to be circumcised. And they're pointing all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abraham, saying, this is something that I want you to do that marks you as a people and, and shows that you are set apart from the rest of the world, that you trust that I'm your God, that you're my people. So they're still trying to you know, tell people to live into this custom. And essentially what's, what will begin to happen is that the people in Philippi begin to hear, you're not enough, mm-hmm. right? You, you're, you, you're not measuring up fully. You're not really the people of God. And, and then they begin to maybe be concerned that the gospel's not enough. Mm-hmm. And so they start to question their identity as God's people. And, and as, you know, what it means to belong to God. So I just wonder, Jeff, for you, like, how has this season, and maybe not just this struggle, maybe struggle in general yeah. in your life, like how are, are there ways that that has caused you to question identity? Yeah, of course. I think, um, I, I imagine there are a lot of us in this last couple of months who, in, in the last month especially, who when it became clear that we couldn't function in the way that we were used to, when we couldn't go to the job that we're used to doing, when we couldn't do the, fulfill the tasks that we normally did every day um, in the same way that we did, we start to go, well, if I'm not doing that, and that's where I put my stock, that's how I understand who I am. If I'm not doing that thing, then who am I? Um, and I know for me, it, in this season, it's been a little different, but I had another time in my life where, where that was really, really prevalent. Um, and, and that was, I, I felt called to leave my job. I, had, I, I worked in uh, the computer industry. I was a software engineer. I, I trained for that in college. And uh, just felt like my time in that field was coming to a close and uh, decided to move from, from Colorado where I was working at a software company back to Michigan where I grew up. And uh, 
there were a lot of people who wondered if I had kind of lost it. Like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, you have, you have this great job. You're, you know, you're taking care of everything's secure. Uh, you're living in Colorado. It's awesome. Uh, but I just felt like my time there was up and I felt like God was calling me to something else. I didn't know what it was. I felt like there was something else. And so I'm just going to go and I'm going to do that. And so I went back and I moved back to Michigan and it was the weird, and it, and it took me about a year to figure out what was next. And so through the course of that year, of course, every time you meet somebody, oh, hey, how you doing? Uh, what do you do? Well, I wasn't doing anything at that time. I was, I was trying to figure out what was next. And people don't like that answer. It's a very uncomfortable answer. If you say, what do you do? And you say, well, I, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what's next. Um, you get these blank stares and these, okay, you're a little, you're a little strange. <laughs> right. Because that's not who we are, right? Immediately, like we all do something. Of course, I was doing things. I was trying to discern what God would have for me next. Um, eventually, I gave up on answering that. And I just said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm doing some software consulting until I figure out what I want to do next. Because that made people feel better. Right? <laughs> like, oh, okay, you're doing something. Good. Anyway, um, that was a time for sure where when, it was, when, when the things that I had normally did, done who defined who I was um, were gone, um, all of a sudden I had to think, about, okay, well, if I'm not doing this thing that I studied for forever, this thing that I paid money for, the, all these tests I did, if I'm not doing that, um, what am I doing and who am I? Right, right. And, and so when I try to think about, like, what, what, what would be a helpful way for us to think about this? Because sometimes that can be a difficult question to answer, you know? Who, yeah. who do you understand, understand yourself to be? What's your identity? And yeah. so often we define that by the things that we do. So, yeah. so eight weeks ago, if you were to, you know, draft a resume, <laughs> what would your resume look like? Right. You know, like we, we tell all of the things that we're awesome at, like all mm-hmm. of the best things. We probably don't, you know, like include our struggles in there. So, so we define ourselves by the things that we do or that we're able to do. Yeah. Well, now, if you were to draft a resume for yourself, how does that look different? Yeah completely different, yeah. right? And I don't mean like resume, like you fudge on some things. Like I always laugh when my wife tells a story of when she was in LA pursuing her acting career and she had, you know, a resume and she said she was five, six in it when she was really five, four. And, and she said she knows how to <laughs> like had extensive training in tap dance when she had never, like never learned how to tap dance, but just because she thought, well, maybe there's a part that would require me to, to be able to tap dance. But I, so I don't mean like you fudge on the resume. I mean like if you were to be honest, mm-hmm. how do you define yourself now? Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, some of us might just say, I, like, I'm, I'm keeping myself alive. Or like, if you're mm-hmm. a parent, like, I'm, I'm keeping my children alive. You know, I feel like that's, that's about the best, you know, uh, that I can do. So, so in this season, I wonder, you know, how are we defining ourselves? From the outside looking in. You know, like what would people say is the driving passion of your life? You know, I, I mean, I think so often people look and say, well, you know, you really enjoy these things or, um, you know, people know that I enjoy fishing. They know that I enjoy the outdoors. I know that, you know, ministry is, is something I've given my life to. But, you know, for many of us, like how would people looking out define us? And, and not just about the th- in terms of the things that we do, but in terms of what our driving passion in life is. Because I think for many of us, like if this wasn't my, my, my role, like my job, I wonder if people would say, you know, he, he loves to do these things. Oh, and, and I think he likes his church too, hmm. you know? Like that's just an add-on. We, when, we, when we look at Paul and consider that question, we look in at Paul's life and say, he is sold out to the gospel. Like the driving passion in Paul's life is Jesus and making Jesus known to people who don't know Jesus, yeah. you know? Um, 
And yet that wasn't always but Paul's story. That was story. a new thing, yeah. right? Yeah. That wasn't always Paul's story. Yeah. That wasn't how Paul used to define himself. In fact, that, that's, so he gives a resume in this passage. You know, Paul says, like, if we're going to put confidence in the flesh, if we are concerned about living the right way and doing the right things, you know, Paul's like, hold my beverage. Because he's going to win every time mm-hmm. in this debate. You know, Paul goes through this, this list of things that may, for us, we feel like, well, that, why, is, why is that important? Circumcised on the eighth day, that means he followed the custom to the law um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. This is the tribe that gave us David's kingdom and, and the, the tribe that was faithful to the throne of David when other tribes fell away. Uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, he was born to the right parents, like born into the right family in regard to the law of Pharisee, which means like he had th- like the utmost love and appreciation for the law. He, mm-hmm. he wanted to uphold it at all costs. As for zeal, we know what Paul's zeal looked like. He was a persecutor of the church. Like I'm so passionate about what I believe that I'm willing to put a stop to this thing that, that, it, that looks different, right? Yeah. And, and so Paul holds this up and, and you know, while some of those customary things and while some of the history there might be lost on us, Paul's devotion to his faith, we would look at that and say, man, Paul is the gold standard. And often when we're reading scripture, we say, gosh, if I could have the faith of Paul, if, if I could have the same kind of passion, you know, drive my life that Paul does. Um, <clears throat> and so even we would, would hold him up uh, as a standard. And yet something happened in Paul's life. Paul encountered Jesus, and through that encounter with Jesus, Paul is now able to look at these things and say, he doesn't just say they're not as important. <laughs> right. It's garbage. Yeah. All of that <clears throat> stuff that I held as being of utmost importance, that when, my, when I've run my course, that God would look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He realizes those are ultimately empty pursuits mm-hmm. without the power of Christ. Right? And uh, don't hear me say, like, being faithful is unimportant. Don't hear me say that, you know, having a, a deep understanding of who God is and building your life around that is unimportant. But Paul realizes that unless his identity is found in Christ instead of found in these things that he's mm-hmm. achieved, he's ultimately no one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so to the point that he's saying, I'm, I'm willing to throw all of that stuff away if it means that I may know Christ more. I'm, I'm willing to throw that stuff away if it means that my, my identity might be found somewhere other than in Jesus. And so mm. I wonder for you, like, <clears throat> where have you found hope or where have you found freedom in, in things that have been stripped away yeah. in this season? Um, it, it's funny that you said resume. I, I had written that down there. For me, the, that was when it really, that was when it really hit me that all the stuff that I had done in the computer world um, it was 10 years after the fact and I'm, and I'm writing a resume as I'm trying to apply for churches to do internship and stuff like that. So this was after getting a call to ministry, realizing call to ministry also. And I, and I realized as I wrote this resume looking for church work, I, it, all the stuff that I had done before came down to one line. It said, I was a, I was a computer consultant for this company for these years. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> all that stuff, like 10 years worth of work is now just one, one, one line on the resume. Um, that's crazy. And yet, during that time, um, the thing that I was most passionate about was following what God was calling me to do next. Mm-hmm. And so that was the thing that, that, <laughs> that filled up the rest of the resume, right? <laughs> that was the thing that, that filled out. 
um, my understanding of, of who I was. It was all these things that God was calling me to, all these things that God was saying um, about who I am in Christ that I had always known on some level having grown up in the church and whatever, um, but was discovering in a, in a new way and in a deeper way um, that I'm more than just what I, what I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, like we tend to live life with the, the credit column in mind, right? As long as the, like the credits to us outweigh our deficiencies, we're okay. Yeah. Or as long as we, our credit, you know, like we, we come out looking better than the person next to us, <laughs> then, then, then we're doing okay. And, and what Paul has done here is he has filled up the credit column yeah. and then taken a red marker and marked through all of it. Yeah. And, and said, like, I, I don't want to be found trying to pursue a righteousness of my own. I don't want my identity to be found in the things that I've done or the things that, that I can do. And and I think the thing that's important for us to understand here is, is you know, for Paul to, to speak this way about his accomplishments and to speak this way about, like, the way that he's been faithful to who God called him to be up to the point where he met Jesus. And now to say, all of that's garbage. I'm willing to lose everything if it means that I can know Christ more deeply. Hmm. The thing that he's exposing, I think, for us is that you can't, you can't plant a foot in each camp, hmm. right? To, to plant a foot in, in my achievements and my accomplishments and the things that I've done and what the world says that, you know, who I should be and the way I'm living into that, and then to plant a foot in my identity in Christ, like, we're all, I mean, we're always going to feel torn. We're always going to feel exhausted in, in our life and in our faith. And, and that's not what, what Jesus intends for us. You know, that's like, it's, it's not the life that we are created to live. And it's not to say that God doesn't give you things to do. It's not to say that God doesn't give you work to do. I mean, that, that's part of how we understand that God has called us to be a part of the creative process of like him growing his kingdom and establishing this kingdom on the earth is in the work that we do. Um. And it doesn't even mean it has to be ministry. If you're a parent, parent to the glory of God. If you're a spouse, love your your your, you know, significant other to the glory of God. If you're a parent, you know, if it, like whatever work God has given you to do, do that to the glory of God. But be careful that that doesn't begin to define who you are, right? Yeah, and I, I think back to, and I don't, sorry, I don't know if I'm preempting no, where you're going on, here, but um, I, I think back to Jesus's baptism passage, right? <clears throat> right. I mean, this is, Jesus certainly had things to do for God and for God's kingdom, Right. Um, Jesus had a pretty good resume, um, son of God. That's not bad. Um, but at the same time, when he, and, and Jesus had a lot of work to do, right? Jesus did all these different miracles. Jesus did all this kingdom work, bringing God's kingdom here on earth. And yet when he's baptized, he hadn't, he hadn't done any of that stuff yet, but Jesus is in the water and God says, this is my beloved son. This is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. I, that's, that was the resume, right? That was the only thing you need on the resume. God's, God's son or daughter. That's who we are. Um, and God is pleased with us um, for that same reason. Yeah, I, well, you, you bring this to mind. It's one of my, my favorite passages um, in, in Paul's letters, and, and it's found in Ephesians. You know, Paul begins this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined, that means he decided ahead of time, Mm -hmm. that we would be adopted as his children through Christ. Now, what did you do to earn your adoption? 
right. nothing, right? God decided, <clears throat> like before the creation of the world, that he would do what was necessary for us to be adopted into, you know, as his children yeah. through Christ. We've done nothing to earn that. Hmm. He's, he's not measuring us against someone else. He's not measuring a resume. He's saying, this is who you are born out of my love for you. This is where your identity is meant to be found. You know, so what, like what happened to Paul? Where did the, the change come? Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Mm. Paul was on his way, letters in hand, to continue to carry out the work of persecuting the church. And Jesus, you know, a, a blinding light comes. Paul is stricken blind and he hears a voice. It says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, as before his, his you know, we, we came to know him as Paul. Why do you continue to persecute me? You know, so he has this encounter with Jesus that transforms his, his life. And some of us want that. We want that dramatic, like, 180 sure. turn. And yet we feel like that's not how it's, it works. <laughs> we feel like we might take three steps forward in, in living into that identity as, as a child of God and as a person of, you know, who's faithful to Jesus, and then take, like, ten steps back. Because the, the draw of the world and the voices that want to um, place expectation on us are so loud. In 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, Paul writes these words, uh, beginning with verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. But he also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is a freebie, this, is, this, this, this will not be on the screen. Now where the Lord, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So where the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, the thing God intends for you to experience is freedom in that. Freedom from the expectation of the world. Freedom from the expectation of people around you and trying to build your identity on that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, that means we can, we can approach God without anything you know, hindering us because of what Christ has done, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So we see there that it's this process of transformation. Yeah. You know, Paul, there, there was this period of time in, in Paul's life that, that we're, not, we're not really sure, you know, between the moment when he received his sight back and when he began his ministry in earnest. We don't know what that period of time was like. There's, there's not really much written about that. And maybe that was part of, you know, Paul dying to, like, the, the expectation of thinking this is who he had to be. And learning what it means to live into who Christ was calling him to be. Yeah. And once he experienced that, once he found that, he was all in in that direction. Mm. Because he realized that there's nothing that could satisfy his soul the way that Jesus could. There's nothing that could bring meaning and purpose and wholeness to his life the way that Jesus could. To the point that, that in this, this letter to the, the church in, in Philippi, he says, I'm willing to lose all of those things if it means that I can gain Christ. And, and not that he has to earn it. He just wants more of Jesus, yeah. more of understanding what it means to be in relationship with Christ, that he's willing to lose all of the distractions, right? All of the things that get in the way of that. I want to know Christ. He has to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So I wonder for you, like in this season, have there been ways that Jesus has become 
attractive to you in, may, in ways that maybe he, he wasn't before or, or any season of struggle? I think the key is kind of something you've named already implicitly, just spending time in God's presence. Because if we're not doing that, we're not able to hear those things that God's speaking to us, those words of reassurance, those, that, that blessing that you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, mm-hmm. and you are beloved. Um, and so I think that's where I've taken the most comfort, the most hope um, through this season where I can't be doing all the things that I'm normally doing, but I can be proactive about spending time in God's presence and listening and praying and, and just hearing um, God remind me who God is and what God has done and who I am because of that. Yeah. This season is such an opportunity. It is an opportunity like we have never had before in our lives and, and I believe it's an opportunity like we will never have again. Mm. This season when, when we have all been forced to hit the pause button in some way, right? And things that we are used to doing and that we're used to defining us are being stripped away. And so we just invite you to consider what it means to find your identity in Christ. And what would it mean for your life to be rooted in that? And look, I I can hear the arguments because I say them myself and say, man, so often I I don't feel worthy of the love that Jesus has for me. But there there is nothing that you can do that puts you outside of the reach of God's grace. Mm -hmm. Nothing that you've done, nothing that you think about doing, none of it can put you outside of the reach of God's grace. And so we want to encourage you to use this this season to examine those things in your life that maybe you've built an identity around and to see that they're all, for all of us, proving to be weak right now. Hmm. Right? I I mean, I find myself wrestling with, and who, who am I? Am I defined by the things that I do? Or am I allowing myself to be defined by who Jesus says I am? What would it look like for you to examine some of those things? To examine them for what they are. And to live your life in passionate pursuit of Jesus. Knowing that he is the only one that can truly satisfy your soul. How would your resume begin to look different if you were defined by who God says you are? Mm. People might look at you and say, look, they have a job, they have a family, they do these things, but what I understand them to be is that they are passionately in love with Jesus. That, that is the driving passion of their lives. Let me read this, this last thing, this example of a different resume, and just close with this, this um, invitation and encouragement for all of us. So whereas Paul's resume was once the things that he did, right, in, in terms of, um, you know, living a certain way, Paul's resume shifts and it begins to look different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That resume looks entirely different because Paul was willing to lose everything Hmm. for the sake of knowing Jesus and giving himself passionately not to the persecution of the church, but to making sure that the gospel and the message of Jesus was known. And that's good news for us because we wouldn't be here 
if there wasn't somebody who had given their lives to them. Amen. Yeah. Amen.